Hello and welcome to The Breakdown, a brand new podcast from Eurosport and Discovery, where we break down the components of success, the battles common to us all, and the elements of sport that unify each and every one of us. I'm Orla Shinoui, I'll let you introduce yourself. I'm Greg Rutherford, once upon a time uh, an Olympic athlete, that's why I was invited. (laughs) Well, we'll get to why we're both doing this actually, first of all. Um, We wanted to do this podcast, well I wanted to do it because I've been a news journalist for quite a long time and I've worked in sport now for over a decade and I've for such a long time been fascinated by what sets elite athletes apart from the rest of us and I've got this insatiable hunger and thirst and need to learn from athletes as to what it is that makes them different but actually over the last couple of years I've come to realise that we've got so much more in common than we do that separates us and the same battles, the same struggles, the same problems in life. But I feel that maybe elite sport has given athletes tools to deal with those struggles better than others, or certainly better than I do. And so that's what I want to learn. And this podcast is a bit of an exploration of all of that, really. And then you bring in the elite sport side of it as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, from my point of view as well, when we discussed doing this and you came up with this fantastic idea... I looked at it from the athlete point of view and I thought if we're talking to athletes, people that are fascinating, I want to try and get those questions, get those points that people often never got to with me Mm. when they're interviewing me. I actually want to try and help get where we need to be to understand exactly why athletes do what they do in order to succeed. Because I think genuinely, it's like you say, so common. It's, it's, It's all tools that anybody can use to succeed in any walk of life. And the guests we have had so far have absolutely blown me away with their stories. And I really think and I hope that listeners will learn another side to some really familiar names that I have anyway. And I know some of them quite well. But let's go through a little list of who we've had so far. We've got Mark Cavendish. We'll come to him in just a moment. Um, We spoke to Jamie Chadwick about the racing driver, about the pressure the expectation and and the hunger for her to become the first female formula one driver in almost 50 years and also about how she hit the curb several times in her driving (laughs) test which is quite good to know we spoke to sir chris hoy about grief which was fascinating and very moving it was so personal i've never never heard chris talk the way he spoke with us um it was it was incredible but also we were talking about focus and how to make yourself better on a daily basis. We spoke to the Olympic champion, Jess Learmont, the triathlete, who really is, I think, one of the most inspirational stories that I've come across in recent years. She went from this overweight supermarket worker to an Olympian to Olympic champion. And I genuinely don't think she realizes the extent of her brilliance and how inspirational she is. And then... We took a little bit of a detour and we interviewed <laughs> your good friend, Rob Rinder. He many, many may know as a, well, he's a TV presenter. He's a, is a barrister. He's Judge Rinder off, the, off, off of the telly. Off the telly. Um, and we spoke to him about sport in his life, which was a mind profound. It was Genuinely incredibly profound. profound. And then me and you sat down, Greg, and we did a little chat about your life, really, and your... Um, success, but also what keeps driving you. Absolutely, yeah. I I think a broad range of incredible people with amazing stories, and there's going to be many more after this as well, which I'm very excited about recording. But I think it's one of those things that there are common themes with probably everybody in there, but the routes and the paths have been so incredibly different. And I think 
there are going to be so many people that listen to this that can relate to so many of the stories, which I think is just going to be an incredible thing. And you do, like you say, you get to see another side of people that often are just on the TV and mm. you just see them as that. But actually, everybody that does anything that people see as is incredible, whatever else, they're very normal people deep down and they have some incredible stories to how they got to where they are. Yeah, it's that normality, I think, that fascinates me. Like I say, I used to be fascinated by their excellence and their brilliance and what makes them different. Now I'm fascinated by the fact that they're just like me, but a lot better. <laughs> no, I don't, know about, that. I don't know about that. We, as we find out with one of the challenges at the end of each podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, we finish off each episode with a bit of a bit of fun where we get a little bit competitive, but we'll get to that. What we need to get to first though is our first guest, Mark Cavendish, who is the most successful sprinter in Tour de France history. What he has done, the longevity of his career, is second to none, frankly, in the history of the sport. And yet his career was written off for a couple of years. He was told essentially he'd never go back to the Tour de France. He did go back last year, but only because his teammate was injured. And when he went back, he won more stages than any sprinter now has won in history. He's equal on stage wins with the great Eddie Merckx. 34 stage wins, when one stage win, as he likes to say over and over again, would make an entire cyclist's career. Absolutely. Even finishing a Tour de France is an <laughs> yeah, ambition for many cyclists. You yeah. know, it's huge. So we spoke to him about his challenge to make it to this year's Tour de France, and it's not something that he's wanted to speak about. And he didn't want to speak about it with us. And he did in, in the end, which was fascinating. So we'll get to that. And his battle, I guess, with his teammate and friend, Fabio Jakobsen, mm -hmm. who would be the rider to take his place if Mark Cavendish doesn't go. And he spoke really openly about his depression. And I've never, I've known Mark a long time. And I've known him as the fearsome competitor that he is. He's got such an aggressive way in the bike. You know, he's quick to lose his temper. He cares. So he comes across as quite scary and intimidating. I've always known him to be fun-loving as well mm. and uh, quite childlike with his fun. He's a wonderfully playful character, but I've never seen him so vulnerable as he was talking to us. Yeah, what's well, really interesting, you obviously talk about that playful, fun side of it. That's something that I think a lot of people on the outside don't see. And someone like myself now, I've been a fan of Cav for years and years and we were both sponsored by the same shoe company for a while and I'd go to events and he'd be the speaker and things and I always saw him as this incredible remarkable athlete but actually there was a, there's like a weird not not fear of him but you you sort of you look at me think is he about to explode about something he's is intimidating he, 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 there is this something about there's this look in his eye <laughs> and obviously it, it, it's part of what drives him to be as good as he is but there's something in you, 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 you feel he's a bit like a firework mm -hmm. and you never know. But then sitting down, this was the first time I've ever properly sat down and had a real conversation with him. First of all, what a lovely human mm -hmm. he is. Which but he said about you as well. Well, which, well, <laughs> no, but it's one of those things that you never know how people truly are going to be. But I think what we found during recording these podcasts, we're getting a side of people which is so incredible. And I myself am learning about these people that I've watched and adored often in a sporting sense and seeing just how wonderful they can be as people. And that was incredible for me to see and listening to his stories. And so many things were, were similar to the story that I had during my career, which I've loved hearing. Cav is an incredible athlete, but also an incredible person with an incredible story. And 
it was an amazing way to to kick off this this wonderful series of podcasts. And again, it was his normality, I think, uh, that really shone through his humanity in the chat. And um, we will be getting to serious discussion with Mark, but I think it's quite fitting that we started off rather jokingly. So let's get to it, shall we? This is the first episode <laughs> of the Breakdown with Mark Cavendish. We were messaging before coming here and trying to remember the last time that we saw each other. It's like it's a couple of years ago, three and a half years ago, pre pandemic, pre everything. Well, the last time I saw you, I think we were on the flight back from Rio. I think that's yeah. the last time I saw you in person. Right. 2016. And, was, and we were both not in the best place because it hadn't gone as well as planned. I was like, absolutely devastated. You obviously had your beautiful family with you, which makes it maybe easier. I'm never sure with that, but it's one of those things that. I was I was bloody struggling at that point. It was it was but, but the thing is for you, like it was always like you work for the Olympics. Yeah. That like mm. track and field, obviously, yeah. you don't have a season like well, you have a season, but it's not it's not it's like our, your, your pinnacle is the Olympic Games. Yeah. I was just going on to another race that yeah. I think a few days after. Yeah. Like, you know you know what I mean? Because you had a bronze medal, didn't you? And you got your silver. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> I threatened to introduce Greg <laughs> at the start of every podcast as a 2016 Olympic bronze medalist. <laughs> he wasn't happy. <laughs> well, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because like Olympics is like so big for you, but in cycling, like mm. being world champion is which you've been. Yeah, is arguably bigger than being Olympic champion. But that's fascinating within this, those two different sports. World championship seems to be the most important thing. That's that's what about yours? Oh, go away. What do you what do you have that so we don't I'm, have? <laughs> so right, Mark, this Greg is the most competitive no, person you'll you will I mean, present company accepted, but the most competitive person I meet in my side of the profession, because he's moved over and he's retired. And so I'm always trying to find something that I can do that Greg can't do. Do you know what I did? We were we remembering this earlier. We were sending to Pete, the producer. Do you know what I challenged him to once? A static bike like challenge because yeah, yeah. I thought like I work in cycling I can take him on he's only a jumper of course like look at those thighs you I was called me a runner earlier so I appreciate it. <laughs> I remembered what I once did but um but yeah so I was trying to find something that, that I had that Greg didn't and I was like well I've been Irish champion you've never been Irish champion so we, so then he goes you've never been Irish champion I've never been American champion I've never been Chinese champion but I've got the record for the longest jump inside the bird's nest stadium I'm like how can you try to compete whoa, with whoa, me whoa. you obviously win on every level what we are champion in triple jump where yeah did you not know that twice twice yeah but then annoyingly annoyingly Greg then said that he tried triple jump once when he was 15 and I, I'm not telling you my distance but he jumped further than me in his distance at 15. Yeah, but I was a pretty good jumper, irrespective of if it was long or triple no, jump. Okay. I mean, that should be the case. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway. But yeah, I was, I was double Irish Olympic. Well triple jump. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what you should do. You don't, well you don't try to come back with something that <laughs> trumps me. Anyway. Um, but no, we were talking about motivation and the way over it and drive. And because, like, I know you well. I've known you for a long time. I know Greg. And I find the two of you really similar. Devilishly like, handsome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because you were saying how you think you've always had, and you're going to hate this word because people do use it about you, but he was the one who said it, that you've got a chippiness 
Like no, a chip on your shoulder. Oh, I am. I know. Yeah, I said, yes, yeah. exactly. So that, that for me, for my for my entire career, there was always somebody telling me, if it wouldn't be me, you're not good enough. Mm. Somebody else is better than you the whole time. And even when things went well, it got developed into something even bigger because that, yeah, I know, but there was always a but. Mm. And that, that I, I say from a young age, always had this chip. And obviously there's something within yourself which clearly has it. So that has to be a, a part of the motivation for you. Well, it still is. It's <laughs> a running story in my life. Like, having to prove myself. Like, it always has been, always will be. Isn't it? Yeah. But isn't that a fascinating thing? No matter what you do in the world of sport, becoming one of the greatest ever. The greatest the ever. The greatest that's, ever. Right. But that's no, not blowing no. smoke. No, 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 it no. is, though. But there's still, for you, you still feel as if you have to prove something. But it, it arguably comes from that as well. Like, the more you do, the more you expect to do. So I talk about a lot. Um, actually, and now we'll probably talk about at some point, I have mental health problems and I talk a lot about, about that and something I, I came to kind of, I try to analyze stuff that comes from what you, like how you deal with it and what you can kind of deal with and not. I learned to actually not kind of worry about stuff you can't control, worry about stuff you can control. And then it comes on to, you know, people who kind of, like I was someone who slammed, mental health problems like in the past and that's why I'm quite like the irony that I got it and that's why I'll openly talk about it because I know there's there's people with a big voice like on tv and that 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 just laugh at it now and one thing like for instance look take Simone Biles at the at the Olympics last year and it's like it's easy to commentate and say it's a job to have pressure but there's a difference between having pressure pressure is something you can take and use and there's a difference between pressure and expectation. And pressure, you, of course you've got pressure. You, you, you have to perform. It's your job to perform. It's your everything you work for to perform. But an expectation comes from an outside entity. And that's something that you know what you've done, what you can achieve, what you're capable of. Maybe luck will have work either way and you don't achieve what you, what you know you can. But an expectation to do it is something that you, you, you can't, it's out of your control. And that's where problems come from you know and uh unfortunately the better you perform the more that expectation comes from the outside you know take for instance my ex-teammate sam bennett he won two stages of the tour and the green jersey and it was massive my contract halved when i won two stages of the tour de france because it wasn't enough <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. like it, 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 it it's but i was always expected to win four stages of the tour de france you know, that's the um, thing. By, by those sorts of things taking place, that then just adds even more of that stress and pressure. Because again, from my own career, exactly the same. After becoming an Olympic champion, all of a sudden, things were were not as as good for me because people thought, well, it's the one and only time he's never going to win again. So we don't have to back him anymore. He's he's achieved what everyone did. But then obviously there's the pressure you put on you on yourself. But then the external pressures, of course, as you're saying. Everybody now expects you just to go back every single time and do it, irrespective of what's going on behind the scenes, the way your, your, your body and mind is feeling. It's just that complete weight that I think people really struggle to understand. Yeah, I, th I was going to say that. I think people, normal people, you know, in inverted commas, people like me struggle to, to comprehend that level of expectation. But it's when you mentioned the mental health struggles, this l links back actually to the last time that I saw you. And I don't know if you remember this, but we saw each other in London, didn't we, at um, cycling event, Ruler Classic. Ruler. And we didn't have much of a chance to catch up in person, but we were on the phone 
on the way home again, I was in a taxi going home, you're in a taxi going home. So I don't know if you remember this, but we had this full conversation where you were telling me about what had happened and you hadn't gone public with any of it yet, but you were telling me that you'd had this, I mean, it breakdown maybe, I don't know how how to describe um, it, uh, to but fair. I was really shocked by like just how vulnerable you were being with me. I find it really almost humbling in a way that that you were so willing to talk about it when, as you say, maybe you would have dismissed that before. Uh, it was, to be fair, like floodgates open then. Mm. And, and like, it was with a few people and it was more like, and you just want to talk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And you don't I necessarily find that. Want something, you, yeah. You don't, you, you don't necessarily want, you don't know what you want back. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a relief to talk, isn't it? Mm. You know? And, uh, you can learn about what you want back or what you need back. But at the time when it's just, when you finally, okay, admit it, like. By the time you admit it, out. I guess you've sort of dealt with it to a certain extent, haven't you? Yeah. I come to terms again. Yeah. How did that manifest itself within you? Like what, what was the, what were like the key things that you were noticing that, that changed? Well, I just weren't myself. I was, you, 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 you kind of irrational in how you deal with stuff. Like, the word depression is like, is kind of misconceived in a way. Because depression, you obviously think you just associate with being sad. Sad, and it's, and not, it's not sadness. Sad, it? it's, it's just all-consuming darkness almost, exactly. isn't it? It's almost, there's, there's no, you, the amount of times I've tried to paint a picture, mm -hmm. but you can't paint a picture. Mm -hmm. There's no picture to paint. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. it's... It, you either don't have any feelings at all or how you act and respond is completely irrational. Mm -hmm. There's, it, 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 it's a chemical imbalance, mm. you know? And uh, it's, it, it's when you understand that something's wrong, that's when you can, you can do it. And actually, the point I understood, it was when I was actually diagnosed mm -hmm. and it was just a, a medical professional saying this and then... It, it made sense. It didn't was make it a it relief? In a way. <sighs> I felt, because I suffered postnatal yeah. depression and I felt like once somebody told me what it was, it almost took responsibility away from me. I didn't have, it wasn't my fault, yeah. you know? I guess so, yeah. I guess you're right. Well, it means you can do something about yeah. it. You know, what yeah. you, can, you know what you're dealing with then. You know, you're not just, I don't know, before you know it, you don't know what it is. You realise that it's not necessarily an inevitable spiral to the bottom, yeah. that you, that there might be a way out of it because, yeah. because there's a term for it and there's a way of treating it, I guess. Yeah. and It's not a thing that just happens overnight. It's not just all of a sudden said, the realisation may have come quicker. But do you look back at anything during your career and think, buddy, or maybe that was because things were going on in my head or whatever else, which affected certain parts of, of competition or just life in general? I that was the whole point. It was, a, it was a chicken and egg situation. I got sick. I got Epstein-Barr. Everyone's got Epstein-Barr virus. Like, you get it when you're young. Not everyone, most people. And in, especially endurance athletes, because it's, it's like a, a coward disease that it comes when you're weak, you know, mentally or physically. I had a massive year in 16. Obviously, we talked about the Olympics. I was world champion on the track with Brad. Yellow jersey in the tour, four stages <laughs> yeah, yeah. Second in the world championship of the road. And go, but going back from the road to the track, like there's a few of us that can do it, but it's hard. It takes a toll on us. But like Brad stopped to go to the track the year before that Olympic. Viviani, who won the Omnium where I was second, he stopped three months before, which is still close. 
you slept like a week before. Around the Tour de France <laughs> a week before, you know? And uh, and then going to the track, then coming back to try and go to the World Championships on the road, like, it, it just took its toll. And uh, I kind of got over the initial sickness. Like, you, you, if you get it early, you can take a month off, two months off. You work yourself back into it, you know? I did that. I come back. Sagan crashed me out the Tour de France. I started zero again. I tried to get back again. It came up and uh, and I, I just was never on the level. And the team I was at the time, the head doctor there was saying, you're fine, you know? And I was like, I'm sure. I've got the same feelings I had when I had it acutely last year. I'm sure something's not right here. You're fine, you're fine, you're fine. So I'm racing and I know I'm not good. And then again, that's something that's out of your control because I'm doing everything I can do. But what I know works to get me good, I wasn't getting good. Mm. I was, I, I, in fact, I was getting worse, you know? And ironically, like, I was doing more training to try and get better, but you need to Make do the worse. exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in cycling, power to weight is, is the big thing. Like, it's the biggest thing. You either get stronger, you get lighter. That's, that's how you go fast. And I was training, I wasn't getting stronger. So I stopped eating to just get lighter because I couldn't get stronger. And that started affecting me. I had some crashes and yeah, that was it when I got, actually initially I went to get, I said, I need to find out if I'm, what's wrong with me. And uh, I thought I'd go and get told I've still got Epstein-Barr virus, which I did. But at the same time, like, yeah, they told me I had clinical depression, you know? And then I was like, whoa, okay, now now we start from, it, it's a build up to just get your life back in it, let, let alone the, we can just move the, the cycling bit mm -hmm. of life. I've got to get back first before I can work on, on being a cyclist again, I guess, you know? Did that floor you all the more because you hadn't, you had dismissed mental health issues, maybe something that didn't relate to you, that you're so, you're genuinely so mentally, emotionally strong and you have to be to do your job. You risk your life every time you go into a sprint and you have overcome so much and so many challenges and doubters and criticism and, and everything. Did it make you all the more shocked? Did it make, did it? No. No. Because like we said, you don't feel anything. I didn't. Mm didn't have the capacity to feel shocked about it. It was it was not till later that I learned to deal with it and reflect on it yeah. that then I can realize that, whoa, I didn't think that was real when I had it. But at that time, you didn't have the mm -hmm. capacity to be feel one way or the other about it, to feel sad that I had it or shocked that I had it or do you, do you know yeah, I do saying? know what you mean. I do know what you mean because you can't put anything into context anyway yeah. because you're just in this cycle and circle of hell almost inside your own head, aren't you? Yeah. What was your process though to, to overcome? Again, obviously the realization, everything's perfect, but from the beginning, how do you how do you start to overcome that to then come back to being in a situation where now we're back at the top? I've had a real good psychologist, but one that I worked with, he was an ex-sportsman and he's worked with, he, he works with like Rowan Dennis, David Spindley's called an Aussie guy. And he was a professional sportsman. He was a golfer. And 
he had mental health problems. And I had always dismissed psychologists. I was like... Because they were using the team, weren't they? And you didn't, you weren't interested. I felt like they were yeah. judging me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You're not getting like, to see in here, thank I you went, very much. Doors are closed. I went to see Steve Peters one, yeah. like, years ago. I yeah. thought I was going to get taken out in a straitjacket. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, this isn't working for me. You know? No, but it's interesting as well, though, isn't it? Because I think inside the mind of an athlete, there's so much going on. And when you, when you, when you fear somebody will unpack what's going on, you think... They're going to think I'm, I'm an absolute lunatic. Mm. And there is that genuine fear. So I was simply, I never saw a psychologist. I once spoke to a psychologist who told me about, all I ever remember from it, and it's not poo-pooing anything, it was talking about sucking a lemon. And I'll never forget <laughs> this. And there was some, some process No, we should of, not be dismissing the entire I know, of course, psychology no, 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 but, but, I, but I remember sitting there, and obviously you have to find what works for yeah, you, of course, yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Certain People say certain things, and it's a bit more profound. You go, oh, good, yeah, that works. Mm. But because of this one person went off on a tangent about sucking a lemon. What was the point? I don't know. Oh, right. That's the problem. So for me, instantly, I was just like, it doesn't work for me. And I don't need it. But some people it might work for. Actually. Yeah, completely. And that's interesting. And that's probably my naivety at that point because I was relatively young. I was just like, I'm mentally strong. I don't need it. Mm. And there's most certainly, I would say I was, I was fortunate during my career, as much as I had the chip on my shoulder and everything else, I never had those periods of, of of feeling in a way that I couldn't control, if that makes sense. And yeah. that was, from what you were saying, I, I don't think I went particularly there, maybe after my career at times, but not during it, which is good. But because of that, I just sort of didn't need it. Maybe I would have won a bit more if I'd have actually... <laughs> <laughs> you still be competing. <laughs> but there is that sort of fear of what they're going to uncover, yeah. isn't there? Because I tried a bit of CBT whenever I had postnatal depression. And I did like about four sessions and I thought, I don't want you to go there. I want to keep yeah. this to me, you know. Did it, did did he teach you anything about yourself even? It was more like, how are we going to deal with this? Mm-hmm. Well, do you know what I mean? So you put it onto you. Did yeah, you put it, put it onto me. So that's an interesting. And, and that was like, it's something I can control. Yes, yeah, it yeah, was yeah, very, yeah, very yeah. clever. That's brilliant. Like talking about like, like for instance, Steve Peters used to talk about like monkeys and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the you chimp know? Chimp. paradox. Yeah, and it worked for so many mm-hmm. people. For Victoria, for Chris, Chris Hoy, yeah, for Steve Cummins, Brad, like they. they it worked really well that they could and I was like I like me I like me chimp yeah but I was like, going to say that you, you are know, the embodiment yeah. of your chimp yeah. 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 yeah 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 and uh but take that away what yeah, is there but, and I think the chimp thing is taking the control away from you you can blame the chimp mm-hmm. but where David would put it on me and it, and it it was straight away I could deal with it it was really like instant you know mm-hmm. uh, I had to do a list, what we're going to do from it. And it was like, wow, I didn't work for him for that long because it, it was such a, a quick turnaround. Um, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't, it, you're not cured. I don't think you ever get over it, do you? No. You just I learn to deal with it. Like, yeah, yeah. But isn't it interesting? That's instantly, there's going to be people that will listen and they'll probably think like, they might have gone down those routes and, and heard the, the generic terms that are sort of given as it doesn't work for me. Yeah. But just that alone, the idea of putting the onus back on, on the individual that for some will work. Mm. And that's, they'll genuinely, I reckon now there'll be people that list that and go, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it is what it is, how are we gonna do it? Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's quite simple and fundamental as an athlete especially, what we're used to doing it, you have an injury, right? You can wallow on it, or how do we get back? Rehab, get back to, to performing. It's, Absolutely. It's genius. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any tools that he taught you that you still use? He didn't, it was self-explanatory really. Do you know so what in I mean? what he way then? Teach, what did he you... didn't give me tools. He just put it on you. Yeah. So what did you do though? 
You put it on you. Well, how do you make it better? Yeah, like, can you control that? No. That actually, okay. what did he teach me? Yeah. The difference between what I can control, what I can't control. Mm-hmm. You can't control what you can't control. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, if it affects you, it's just causing you more grief. You know? That's so hard to do, though, isn't it? Well, it really is, especially when, like, because there was some stuff that I knew I couldn't control it. It was affecting my performance. I was in a, like, I was in a dreadful team. Like, did a lot of good for charity and that, but it was a, it was a dreadful team for, for, for a professional athlete. You know, so many, so many athletes have gone, gone there and their careers have just ended. When there's stuff coming like that, that actually affects your performance, you know, you know you're going into, into a race with your hands tied behind your back. Was there ever any, any external, though? Did you ever find, I don't know if you were one for this, something that I would always often find, especially with like young athletes, they'd be obsessed with what other people were doing, which was really detrimental to their, to their performance. So I never yeah. forget being in, in California in April. Nobody cares about what's going on in April. But I'd have the kids of the group, and I say kids because I was the, the older statements were at that point, and they're going, oh, I can't believe so-and-so's just run 10-1 for the 100 metres, for example, yeah. with their sprinters. And they're going, it doesn't matter. It's April. You're not. You weren't even in the race. Yeah. It's not like they've beaten you. They've just run yeah, a race somewhere. Yeah. But it, it became all-consuming for them, and you could see it massively affect. So that training session for that day would become awful because all they're thinking about is some oh, dude over in wherever it would be who's just run a fast race. It doesn't matter. You, did, did that ever affect you in that way? Not one, but quite the opposite. I see it a lot in cycling. I've never cared about what someone else has done. Never, ever, ever. Like always, just even when we talk about. Still this day, if we talk about, ta- of course you have to put in other teams' tactics, what they're going to do in a bunch sprint. You have to talk about it in the morning, but ultimately you can't think they're going to do this. <sighs> you think they're going to do this, how do we use that? So you bring it back on yourself and what you can do. I have interest, and you can answer this for you if you want. Do you consider yourself the best ever? And it, it, again, you don't need to sit there and go, oh, I'd sit on the fence, whatever else. Be honest with it. I think the the length of my career, there's no other sprinter has ever had one 16 years. Like yes. So Mark, you consider no yourself other. to be the best. I'm just going to say, because what I always find really interesting with it, this side of thing, because something you just touched on there is the opposite. So you would, you would work against how people had done something really well and your, your mindset was, okay, what do I do to beat them? So I think of my, myself, I was most certainly not the greatest ever at what I did. But where I succeeded is that no matter what anybody did, I believed on that day that I would beat them still, no matter what. Didn't matter. I didn't care if they broke a world record. Now, fortunately, they never did break a world record on me because <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to beat them. But there was this mindset that I had, but I didn't believe I was the greatest ever because I knew I wasn't. It's, it's fact that I'm not. But on the day, the reason I was successful is because I was mentally stronger than every other jumper in the world at that time. Now, it's fascinating because for you as well, the undercurrent is you are arguably the greatest ever. Like so that, that's, it, a, that's a good position to be in. As but well. you, don't, you don't think of that doing no, that. No, of course not. Do you know, know what I mean? But like I mean, the, 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 the mental strength that that will give you, it's easier, I think, to then revert. Not, it, none, of it, none of it's easier, that's not dismissing it, but it's for you, you are that good that you can. You can literally look at what other people do and say, yeah, I'll be there. But does it necessarily mean I'm the best at any given one time? Though? No, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not going to profess that I'm, I've been the best consistently throughout, you know, but 
got people come that are better than me and they've gone. And I stayed, I worked out, I beat them, they go quick. That's all part of it, but that is always the thing. It, it's, you clearly have, have managed to develop a process of how, no matter what, no matter who comes at you. Okay, so there's different, if you think you do great stuff, do you think, okay, it's a different question along the same lines, do you think you're the most talented ever? Absolutely <laughs> not. There you go. No way. So, so that's now interesting, yeah. isn't it? So this is the other side where mental toughness is such an important part of it because, again, and that's maybe where we're similar. I, there was most certainly more talented people in the world than what I did. But again, I didn't care. I knew I'd beat them. But that's what I was going to say about Mark as well because it doesn't, like, in, I think once you've retired, then you can look back and you can exactly, say I was the greatest ever. But right now, I think for you, the knowledge that you can be beaten on any single day is what drives you to a certain extent. And also, people, it, it, I think in your head, you think people expect you to fail. And that gives you a bit of fire in your belly. Well, the thing is, like, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. You're right. Like, it's like... Do people expect you to fail? Yes. Yes. Because we've had this conversation, and I knew you were going to say that. But I genuinely don't think people expect you to fail. Like, so, so last year at the Tour de France, whenever you got that first stage win, I texted you after, I sent you to WhatsApp saying not just how amazing it was, but genuinely how I felt this overwhelming wave of community, of support and love and togetherness and joy yeah, at your win. everyone who expects me to fail. Like, it's not that. But do you look for the people who expect you to fail? No, but it can be, it can be quite close to home. It can be quite close to home. And close to home in, in what sense? Coaches, teammates, team bosses. <laughs> no, I'm not elaborating. No. <laughs> But we can get a sense for it, though. So this, so, this, so this isn't an article written in a newspaper or online or whatever. Well, like, here's this, it's not a given that I go to the Tour de France this year. Mm -hmm. right, yeah, yeah. We don't even elaborate on it, but, you know. But even last year, like we're, we're touching on, which is a massive success for you. Yeah, but last year he wasn't expected to go to the I wasn't expected. No, no, of course. No, no one, one expected. Are you then? I mean, the I guy, the guy who'd won two <laughs> stages was expected to go. No, what that I mean was four. is, what I mean yeah. is after know? the success, do you think... And I think we all feel foul of it. I mean, we, we've had these discussions. Like, you get stick when you you see it online and you'll mention you have a thousand people say something nice about what you've worn, for example. Because, no, no, <laughs> I love not the say. comparison with the No, 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 no. What, what I mean, no, because it's, like it's the only for, for, for everybody. Because, because no, because you, no, you, I know. you respond to the person that says something. Yeah, like, of course. And I, I felt foul of it all the time. I'd have journalists that would write stuff and 99% of it was nice. But I'd see that one little yeah. irky comment. And again, for me, I was like, I'm going to prove them wrong. But this is, I hated it. And it's the people that actually aren't qualified to yes, say exactly. it. Yes, exactly. You know, like, you're a blogger. Yes, you're not exactly. in the gym. <laughs> oh, it's the best you way know? to say it. We're keeping that in. You know, like, and uh, that's what get. that's what. Yeah. That, but is that but, good for you, no, but, in a way? Like, at the, at the end of the day, like, people that say that don't know what it takes to be at the top. That's why they're saying that. And, if they did, if everybody knew what it takes to be at the top, they'd be at the top. Exactly, our job would be a lot harder, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's not just, you know? that, that, just that deep understanding, because that is the big thing that not everybody's talented to to get on a bike and, and be as good as talented to do whatever it is in their walk of life. It's just trying to actually appreciate what people are going through to get yeah. there. Because I think another side of things that people completely and utterly miss within sport, your job or as well, you spend a lot of time away from home, a lot of time away from your, your family, your friends, whatever else you lead a very different life mm. to what people expect. And the, th the thing is, what, one thing actually I've learned that, you know, when a narrative can be talked about, you'd rather 
be proud of the person you look at in the mirror than the person you see on TV. You know, as long as those people, I my family that. and those people close to that. me know what I put in, know the person I am and are happy with the person I am, then actually that's, there was a time when it wasn't like that. You know, you get carried away, you know what it's like. And there wasn't really a time when it wasn't like that. And, in what uh, way? Like you, you, you care about your public persona rather than mm. who you actually are, you know? Mm. Like, virtually, <laughs> right, right, you work in TV, you know? It's, it's quite, it, a lot of people who work in TV, they're not the people you see on TV, are they? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm, like you know, it's, it's what? <laughs> And uh, I really like I can't I can't do it. Like we've talked a lot about I, I can't I I'm real nervous about being on TV because yeah. I don't I find it want to so have cute. to be so, I, find it so sweet. I don't want to have to be what someone expects me to be. I just mm. want to be me. But then you're thinking you know? you're thinking in that scenario about what people expect you to be That's rather than just expressing who you are. Remember before we sat down and I said, and I said if Mark's jaw goes, yes. we're in trouble. He knows what I'm going to ask him about, and if Joe's going to watch it, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> I actually want to ask you about the jaw before I want to ask you about what's causing that jaw to go. And it's going. I love it. Is that is that instinctive, or do you, are you like I always wonder? I don't know. I'm doing it. You don't know you're no, doing it. No, unless you point out, I don't know I'm doing it. So I need to explain for anybody who's listening or who's not, never seen this before, and to you, Greg, because I was explaining to you beforehand, but whenever Mark, and I know you're feeling uncomfortable because I'm talking about you while you're here, but whenever Mark doesn't like a line of questioning, his jaw, his jaw just flares. And honestly, it's enough to terrify an entire <laughs> room of grown men, yes, mostly. Yes. And everybody, generally, when it comes anywhere near Tour de France, anytime anybody's daring to mention the name Eddie Merckx, we're on jaw watch. So do you not know you're doing it? No, but it's it's kind of like a tick, I think. Yeah. Like I have a few ticks. Do you have any ticks? Do you have any ticks? I don't think so. Well, the thing is, I don't I, think people so, said I, have, I do a thing called tense jaw as well when I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's different. That that's but I, mine's clearly not as, a, as apparent to you. So like other people that are close to me notice it. But yours is obviously a thing now. Yours yeah. has become like a genuine thing. Nobody else thinks of. So that's when you, when you mention it, it's actually really funny because I get told to have a tense yeah. jaw when I'm awkward. But I don't think I've got any any other. Tics. I like, I've got like, a few weird weird little things. I don't I know. I, I can't think, but I know I do a few weird things. But like my wife, Peter, she knows straight away with yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. Like and she, especially with the jaw, she knows when to kind of get me out of a situation. Right. So was that anger though? What's going on then? When it when it when Peter's intervening, is it because she knows you're angry, you're annoyed, you're going to blow? What is it? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't even. It's not necessarily even anger. It's just discomfort okay it's in an uncomfortable situation it could be for good or bad do you ever laugh when you're having an argument so oh, it's oh, something so, really tragic right so so i'm genuinely you put me in the worst scenario possible and i can't help myself but smile and laugh i really? said something quite sad and earlier and you started laughing i know at me and, 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 and like, you know it's it. because i feel awkward and I feel terrible because I know I'm doing it. So I've had a couple of other people <laughs> tell me so, But you imagine that somebody's just told that their bloody pet dog's died and I start smirking. And, it, and it's like, in my head, I'm going, stop, you have to stop because it's really, really offensive to the person. I can't stop it. Have you ever done it at a funeral? No, I've done it, I've done it every <laughs> situation. 
can oh imagine. God. I'm also quite an emotional person, so if it's like a funeral wedding, I probably have been crying as well because I'm, 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 I can get. I've both crying, crying and laughing. At the same there's time. a lot. There's when a lot going on. You barely know the person who's in Complain the coffin. Yeah. Really I, I just, no, I just walk past. Melodramatic Greg. I walk, I walk past the church and just step in. That's a weird thing. I think that maybe that's like a tick. I don't know. But I will literally. Well, it is. It yeah. is not a usual if it's thing a really, to do. So, for example, I'm a terrible. If I'm having an argument, I'll laugh. I'll smirk. Oh, it makes, oh that's so provocative. That would drive me insane. People want to punch me in the face. Yeah, yeah I would. And I want to punch me in the face. <laughs> but I can't. I can't control it. So there has to oh, be. Mate. Has to be said. So the jaws obviously one of those. Yeah. That's safer than laughing. Yeah, I'd rather have that than laughing. Like, I feel like now you want it as well. It's like, what are you? I think I'm the last person to laugh in an argument. Really? Well, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just go for it. Yeah, just get it done. Yeah, just get it yeah. done. Yeah. I bite the fingers. I've got little cyclists on, so I can't fight, you know? But I'd, I'd fight. I'm a fighter, but I just know I get battered. Like. Thing is, can I, can I tell him that I was having a discussion earlier and I was wondering who would, who would beat who in a fight between, <laughs> between you and Greg? And I thought you would. No, there's only one way to set. Well, yeah. <laughs> would it be a proper fight, like street a pro- fight, or a, a proper no, a proper street fight? I think you would you would find a way to be like like get around him, exactly. punch him when he's unexpected. So this, this is where she's going for now. We but here's a story. Here's a story actually. <laughs> so I, at, when I when I came back to this team last year, yeah. we have they have like an initiation night, and uh, yeah, it gets. It's quite good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I love how you're self-editing. But then we, got, uh, we had like, we said, oh, let's do fight clubs. We've got a room where we go and do like stretching and yoga and that of a morning, you know, of course, to be there. So we've got all the mats on it and that. And that, that set up for the morning. And we was like, should we go in there, have a fight club? <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of cyclists have a fight club. <laughs> should we get matched up like... Can we uh, match with? I was matched with Eve Lampart. Right. Same height, yeah. same weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. I thought, oh, I'm going to have him here. <laughs> going to have him. And it's, it, it's just, it's more like get them on the back or, okay. or submission. So floor them and then you've won. Yeah. Yeah. Squaring up to him. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have him. Grab him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the back. Is <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, it, messed up there I'll have this like again again <laughs> so we get up squaring up like this oh, oh he comes from there boom <laughs> on me back oh, I was like mate what again 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 nah nah what are you <laughs> doing what are you doing so I get up <gasps> wind <laughs> completely out of me I go in again didn't even he just walks to me and just bam him he was f***ing Belgian judo champion <laughs> <laughs> He's a black belt in judo. I didn't even know. Oh, I was down like yeah. Uh, oh, the difference with that though is you weren't angry. I reckon you in an angry fight. Anyway, this has gone on a totally different yeah, tangent. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to fight? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. There's no way I'd win that one. I wouldn't take him on. I used to fight at school and that, yeah. and they do. But then everybody got bigger than me. Oh really? <laughs> like I, I was quite tall. Is that when you stopped fighting? I was the same height at school as I am now. Right. I had to stop growing. <laughs> everybody else kept yeah, growing. Everyone kept growing. She's the power, mate. And then, uh, <laughs> well, and then I don't know. I, I like a, I like a, 
confrontation. Not like it. I don't actively go out and want a confrontation. But you wouldn't but back down from one. I'm not backing down from a confrontation. When's the last time you got into a physical fight? Oh, I don't know. Nearly today, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> I don't want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't and, how, fight. and how long it takes to think about so it. Do you take that onto the bike though? When you get on the bike, is that? Do, are you still so something? Again, <laughs> we've discussed before. The amount of I'll I'll imagine scenarios that have never happened of falling out with people, getting something <laughs> to scrap them. They have no idea I'm having this this thought process about it because something's been said, done, or whatever else beforehand. And it's ridiculous, of course, but from that point, do you then, do, I mean, I've literally, the amount of people that I've like attacked that have no idea I've attacked them. <laughs> But does that for you then when you when you get on the bike is that something that's like oh I'm gonna go for it now is it do you still have that grit your teeth no I think with my competitors it's completely not really personal because you use that with, that nearly fight scenario with whoever that might have been this that, morning or whoever could would that be something you're still thinking of the next day yeah yeah it's like it's individuals rel like whether they're a competitor or not it, I have I want to fight with a person. Because I don't like that person, <laughs> they probably don't like me, you know. And uh, it's got it, like, but it wouldn't make me want to beat them in a race because okay. I just want to beat them anyway. And you know, and you just want to win rather than beat anybody. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. yeah. But that's what how I've always been my whole career. Yeah. That you know, like, like you get it inside. Like cycling is such a strange sport that right, so you have tennis, one versus one, mm. you know, or long jump. Triple jump. Triple jump. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> triple jump's weird in the long jump. Like, excuse me. You know, you, you, you go out on your own. Yeah. Don't, you, do you know what I mean? You do yeah, what you yeah, can yeah, do. Yeah. Even football, it's one team versus another team. With cycling, it's 150, 200 riders doing okay. You're in, in teams. But uh, for instance, it's not just A versus B. And it's not just A versus B versus C. It's, it's 20 teams. Mm versus each other to the power of 20 like it's it's like you know if you if you if you shuffle a deck of cards i think from the beginning of time if somebody started shuffling decks of cards now they just start repeating themselves if you did a different one every time did you know that what yeah there's that many and like we, we haven't got 50 teams but the team like you got 150 rats three times the amount of cards in a deck of cards imagine the different scenarios you can do that across today 220 kilometers like the variables are, are ridiculous if a, rider a tries to beat rider b and just looks at what they're doing rider c is going to come in or rider d or which happens all the time in sprinting yeah. doesn't it so i was always like we do what we can do and i was just try and win not try and beat somebody else because mm. it's actually like that's what it's it's also actually what your whole thing's about mindset and that mm. You lose a lot more in cycling than you win because of that, you know? Cause it, because of the it, variables. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you're always going to lose more than you win. Unless you're Tadej Pogacar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, your whole life is dusting yourself off from getting back up, really. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, and I think that's just... I think we have it easier to come back from things because every day we're coming back from not winning if that makes sense really does it's such i mean it's a really intense life training <laughs> isn't it because that's what we all have to do in so many different scenarios it's just yourself down and get back up again 
but without a tangible result at the end of it. You know, it might just be getting to the end of the day. But you get, if you do it, if you, how much, that feeling when you've accomplished something, mm. you've, you've got up and done it. It's nice, isn't it? Mm. Like, it's worth it. And if you can think of, if, it's, if you can remember that feeling you had when you accomplished something, even if, like you said, all are just getting to the end of the day, mm. you get down, oh, that was a productive, like, the endorphins you get from it, is, yeah. it's, it's worth it, isn't it? Yeah. You know? So I want to talk about the thing that you don't want to talk about, Mark, and you can answer it however you like. Yeah. But obviously, obviously, you're the most successful sprinter in the history of the Tour de France. You've come off the most incredible, incredible success at the Tour de France last year. So what about so what about this year? We all know. I mean, we don't all know. Obviously, listeners to this podcast might not know that in your team there's also one of the best sprinters in the world, and 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 your place at the Tour de France, even with all of your wins, is not an inevitability. How do you deal with that? It's a job. Yeah. Look, I've based my whole career around the Tour de France. I love the Tour de France. I'd always dream of doing the Tour de France. But uh, even the last year, I was dreaming of the Tour de France. I didn't do it, you know. Um, last year, I wasn't doing it, but I prepared in case I was needed. And... Uh, that's just what it is as a professional. You got to take your your uh, things from it. But uh, it, it's quite good because we were talking before about journalists or people. Like it's 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 an easy story to make a, a am I or aren't I going? Is my teammate or is he not going? Mm. That's a, it's an easy story. Mm. It's it's quite a lazy story in my honest opinion because it's it's that easy, you know. Um, the one thing I like. Fabio and, my, um, and myself have supported each other so much the last years. Like, the last thing I want and the last thing he wants and the one thing that scares me about all this is for any sort of rivalry mm. to be created between us, you know? Because we've been there for each other. And uh, obviously... I only know that from experience, from knowing what, what happens, you know? Like when a, the press want to create a rivalry, it, it's not really that nice, you know? Mm. Um, and unfortunately, it does start to cause friction. And we're not like that. Yeah. And I don't want to be like that. And that's why I'm quite reluctant to talk about it because I don't want to fall out with a mate <laughs> because of something where it's because of something that's out of our control mm -hmm. but what's in my control is not talking about it so those outside influences are out of my control can't then affect it do, do, do you see what mm -hmm. i mean well people have to turn everything yeah. they possibly can can't they and it's an easy thing to turn into a rivalry of yeah. course so from that point of view i guess the strength that you have is that if you know that it can't become that on one level it's a great situation and position to find yourself in anyway but also, like, I would say that part of that, and this is a different way of looking at it, but part of it is people actually willing for this spectre of the record, really. And I was saying to Greg, when I started in cycling 2010, people were talking about the Eddie Merckx record to you then. And that, that blows my mind that you've had to deal with that or ignore it or whatever, but just shut down his questions for 10 years. But I think there's an awful lot of will 
and goodwill from people that actually want you to tick that off and then it's all done. I know that. Yeah. Um, but there's also, like, and I really feel it. And I re really, really feel it. But there was that wheel in, in 2016. Mm. And I didn't do the tour. You know, I didn't, for the next years after that, it's... One, if I can win 50 more stages at all, I want to win 50 more stages at all. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me, you know. But on the same time, there's some people who like want Fabio to go to the tour so that I'm not going to the tour, not for Fabio to go and win the tour. Do you think you know? that there is? Yeah, that? for sure, there is. What fans, media, or teams, or bit of both, bit of everything, do you know. Don't get me wrong, like we talked about before, it's that very small, mm -hmm. it's a small demographic. It's like, like it's that chip, it's, the, it's yeah. still that chip. It's that small demographic that does the biggest thing yeah, in your shoulder, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 where's the heaviest? You know? But uh, I want, whether it's whoever it goes that goes at all, like, all eight guys, every one of the 30 riders in our team will be glued, okay, not 30, because eight of them are there, but the, the other 22, <laughs> Will be glued, screaming at the TV. You can guarantee that. You can guarantee that. You know, and uh, it's not right that there's a somebody else's narrative that isn't that. <laughs> Do you know, it, it pisses me off in a way, and I'd rather just not talk about it. Then let's not. Okay. I want to ask you about the Giro instead. What? How do you feel about going into the Giro this year? Um, I'm mean for it since 2013. Like, I won the points jersey in 2013. Nearly won it in 12. I think I lost it by, like, a point or something. I had that crash on the first day mm -hmm. in Denmark. And uh, some 13, we went for it, did it. And, but there's uh, such history for you with the Giro. Yeah, I love it. I love Italy. Obviously, I have a house in Italy. I spent many years here. Well, I always did the Giro. But I know sometimes in, in the past, I'd do it as... I, I did it to win, but I knew I wouldn't finish it because... I'd be more tired for the Tour de France. And then uh, I started to finish it. I didn't really like knowing I wasn't going to finish it. I'd rather have car like carried on. And I did in 12 and I did in 13. I was always, I said, won at the Tour in 12 and 13, but I was tired from it, you know. And then Tour of California was at the same time and that became World Tour. And uh, I had a great relationship with the organisers. I had a good mark out in, in the States. And so I... Started doing the through California instead, and then that's not on now. The Giro. <laughs> Why not? Are you looking forward to it? I am really looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, in all honesty, I look forward to every race with this team. Like I just being, just being away with my mates. You know, um, but I'm 36 years old, and I feel like when I was younger again. You know, um, sports a really funny thing for that, though, isn't it? And we briefly touched on this earlier as well. It's Peter Pan syndrome the whole time. Mm. When you're away, <laughs> when you're with your mates, whatever else, doesn't matter what's going on at home, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, you are Peter Pan again. And it's true. Isn't it? It's it's the most, and that I think is probably the big thing that a lot of sportsmen and women, when they come away from that, mm. that's the thing that suddenly you go, oh God, that was really good. And it really is. There's, there's these moments in it, I think, especially with your own, I can talk from experience from retiring, that. It's not, it's not just always about the performances. I mean, like, again, winning all that sort of stuff is obviously the most incredible thing in the world. But equally, 
you start realising those other moments where you are just kicking about with your mates, just <laughs> yeah, yeah, shooting yeah. the breeze, just being idiots, basically. But it's great. You get to do what you love for a living. Mm. Completely. Don't matter how hard it is and the sacrifice you put, you still do what you fundamentally love for a living. Did it take you a while to come to terms with it? Were you 100% certain you were stopping? Mm. Or was there any party that was like, I, I, I don't know. The, the dream, it, obviously you have a dream. So my, my dream first and foremost in Rio was to retain my Olympic title. So to become two-time Olympic champion. That didn't happen. It was because my body started to break down again. And I went into 17 and then started to get even more injured. So I very quickly realised that I think my body had probably had enough. And I just didn't enjoy it as much. And then once you get to that that's the difference. It is, you, yeah, when, you said you hated it towards yeah, the end. Yeah, I hated it. So at the start of my career, I hated it. Very nearly quit. Thankfully didn't. Then towards the end again, I was like, look, I'd wake up in the morning and it'd take me half an hour until I could walk without basically limping and crawling around because there's so much pain. <laughs> like, and my body, my body had said no. Um, but for me, what was very interesting is that I knew from a young age my career wouldn't last that long because I'm not the ideal build for a jumper anyway. So I knew... I had to have something else that I wanted to do when I retired. And I've gone on to do things that I really want to do. Since the age of 16, what I've wanted to do is work with Orla. Um, that's a lie. Uh, but, funny, funny. <laughs> no, but it, it, I think what is always important, and I mean, I'm no one to give you advice, of course, but what I sort of always try and give to other athletes is try and think about what comes next eventually. Of course, you don't want to be thinking about, oh, I've got to retire. But fundamentally, retirement comes to everybody eventually. I think for the, for the athletes that I've spoken to that have struggled with it dramatically, it's been because it ended and they had no idea what they wanted to do with their lives. Whereas for me, I knew what I wanted to do. And I sort of walked away with a smile. I'll do like a fail. I was crap in the last year. <laughs> I, was her, key. I was beat I was being beaten by like very poor athletes. <laughs> and and it was because I was so injured. I'd stopped training. All I was, ma- I was mountain biking. I said I was mountain biking, get, I like I'd come off and hit a tree at whatever mile an hour, have these I've got massive scars on my legs. I'm still trying to compete just because I couldn't do it anymore. But I knew what I wanted to move into. But then but then like with you, Mark, you were being beaten. You you had lost the art of winning. And didn't retire, and thank goodness you didn't. When people were trying to, you know, say it and force well, it on you for a long time, I knew I wasn't in that situation. Mm. Everyone else thought I was in that situation, <laughs> yeah. but I was the one that. And, and like, I'm a realist at the end of the day. I'm not a dreamer, and that's why. Like when, like when I was younger, it would come across as arrogance when you say, "Yeah, I win today." Mm. Of course, I win today. Like it's a good feeling, Ronnie. You know, like I, I knew, I knew what I'd put into it, and if <laughs> only you know, I knew that felt like an shock of life. It's a great feeling, it is, isn't it? <laughs> but it's only because you know what, how hard it's been the last time. When no, when the cameras aren't rolling, you're know hard it, it's been. That's why you know you're in a position that you're going to win, isn't it? People only see that that, that exactly. moment of success when you stand on top of a podium, roster, and whatever it is. And it's just, oh, they've just gone out and won. It's all of what comes before that that builds up to that moment. Now, what I always find really interesting, so I'll have people that don't know me at all, and I'm sure you've had this as well, and something can be said about it, they go, God, you're so arrogant. Like, you're such a <laughs> horrible, arrogant person. I'm like, hang on, <laughs> you've never met me. Like, what, how yeah. do you have this bit? Well, I saw you at the Olympics and you were smirking or whatever. It's like, <laughs> you sorry, as uncomfortable. Was, <laughs> I was having an argument. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, I'd rather probably yeah. bust up with the official, <laughs> but you know, I was sort of thinking like, especially in sport, brilliant. Especially in, in sport, 
if you're not allowed to be or give off this perception of, and arrogance is probably the wrong word, but confidence, self-confidence, then you're already beaten. Mm. And I'd be fascinated to know if, if people, again, have said similar things to you. Because if you're on a bike and you're shouting at somebody, doing whatever, you're, you're trying to do what you need to do to succeed. You know what that, that is. Whatever mental, physical state that is, you know what you have to do. But it's, it's interesting, and maybe what I'm getting at is, if, you, if that ever has affected you, people having an outside perception, which is different to what you know you are as a person. Quite a bit. But, like, it's a perception of who I'm going to be when I come to a new team. That I, It's always been, I've had to, I know what it's going to be. And the amount of people that say to me, oh, I expected this. Oh, that's it. So are the riders? Yeah, but, to, but honestly, the people, it, it, it's quite often... Like for most riders, the people you dislike most in the in the group, mm-hmm. like the riders down, you don't know them as a person. They're usually the best teammates, do you know, because they're doing their job and they're to the best. It, yeah, which is annoying if you're yeah, a rival, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, but that's what I always find really interesting about you in particular is that there is this public perception of you being quite arrogant and and that time that you grabbed the journalist dictaphone and ran into the bus and sort of... But, but do you but, know do you know where that came from? What? So journalists were there. Yeah. And they were asking me about something that it was actually someone else that had happened because it was involved me, it was big news. I knew it was going to be difficult questions and I was there for 10 minutes and that journalist came after uh. and asked this a question being asked do you know yeah but just stuck it over everyone and did it and i give him it back five ten minutes yeah, later yeah, yeah. but <laughs> did you leave any other message no, but surely, <laughs> surely do you see the irony in that is he not the arrogant one for oh, absolutely for he, he coming and thinking he can just come in and do do you know what absolutely. i mean mm-hmm. like i've been on the bike all day yeah you're that arrogant like do, do, do you know yeah. but it's, it's, it's people owning your time because if you, you've done a thing that they've watched, this is always the, the fascinating thing I think with sport as well, is that because people invest their time in watching and they give off emotion or whatever They else, feel an ownership they, of they, you. They, they do. Yeah. And, 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 and again, exactly the same sort of stuff. People have an opinion of you and want something from you have absolutely no right to demand it. But do you know what? Something else that, that I actually learned last year that I'd never really thought about before uh, and and honestly, from a selfish point of view, I was just consuming what I was doing. Mm. And it, it, most athletes are consuming. Something I learned last year, and actually it wasn't even last year, it was the years that I was just a spectator. You know? Mm. That, you know, fans are like, not watching you on your journey. They're living that journey with yeah, you. That's true. And it's giving I, it, something to them. Yeah, and it, it, it hadn't, occurred to me for the best part of my career really the best part of my, and then last year obviously with with coming back and i felt this a warmth from people that made me really like it, it, it's not yeehaw it, it, you know they, they they've lived that whole journey and it, it was proper humbling and it proper opened my eyes and made like most people don't see it you want, i i didn't see it my whole career and it's beautiful and it makes me, I wish I could turn back time and know what I know as like, what being a fan of sports means, do you know? I would, it, would, it would completely, like I, I, f- I feel like I've always 
try to give time. You can't obviously give time to everyone. And obviously, you speak to 100 fans and you can't speak to one. And unfortunately, they'll think like, like That's a good I time. actually didn't, I didn't speak to everyone I could have in the past. Yeah. And I wish I did. Do you, do you know? No, but that, that, what you've right. just described there, though, is the really positive side of it, though, and that's what the beauty of sport does. It attracts generally really nice people that do love it. But the situation with somebody like a journalist or somebody trolling inverted commas, whatever mm. else, that's then the flip side of it. But, of course, I think that's the beauty of sport. And I'm a sports fan. I think we're probably all sports fans. Those moments that you live, be that whatever sport it is, you live... I remember as a kid, I don't know if anybody else ever did this weird thing, I used to try and give through the TV watching... Whatever sport of it was, try and give my power. That's why I cheer at the TV. It's, no, but it was like this thing. Because we think it's going to yeah. make a difference in some way. It, it, felt, it yeah. felt like a genuine, I tried to give <laughs> this energy to try and help them win. Yeah. This bullied little ginger kid just, get, just giving over whatever little power he had left after the, the days of school. But That um, is what is beautiful about being a sports fan, and that's why sport matters, though. Like, even, honestly... The, especially your first win last year, because I was watching it in the studio, and I'm not thinking that there are cameras on or anything. Somebody showed me footage later of me watching you, and I was literally jumping up and down in the studio and screaming. And it just, that, that moment though, it, it's almost like I feel like a fan, and that's, that's maybe even inappropriate, because I'm, I'm a journalist, I'm a sports host, but I'm a fan at the end of the day, that's, that's why I'm in it. But I feel like I don't own any of that. But I then feel grateful to the people who've given it to me. You know, that's the good side of it. Again, yeah, that, that's always things that, that I think that's always the difficulty, and that's where some people maybe overstep the step the mark a little bit. Because you're right, you give it to hundred people if you possibly can. There's always going to be one person you let down. But fundamentally, I think across sport sports fans, people just love supporting people. And it, it I'm happy that I'm grateful for that back now. Mm. Do you know when I wasn't really ever before. Like not, you're not grateful for it. You don't think about it. No. It's not. not aware you're not ungrateful. Of it. You're just not aware of it. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful to to be like to reciprocate it now. Do you know? And still be able to do it while I can mm. do that. Do you know? That's it. Because I wrote a, I wrote a piece about you hopefully going to the Tour de France last year, and that was my thing. I wanted us all to be able to join in with you're that. Right, <laughs> 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 it was all thanks to me, just saying. But I wanted us to be able to enjoy your wins for what they were as we were watching them and not sit and look back and say, oh, wasn't that wonderful? Pity we gave them a bit of along the way, you know? But <laughs> does this make you enjoy this part of your career a little bit more then? Yeah, there's a lot, lot more. Like I, I was talking to today, today, today. today. <laughs> I got to today. Like, we were watching Stade Bianca, you know, and like, like, so my littlest Casper is a massive cycling fan, like massive, he's just me. <laughs> I wasn't a cycling fan necessarily growing up because mm -hmm. I didn't have cycling in the family. But when I think back now, I was always on a bike, you know? The only thing I watched at the Barcelona Olympics was the cycling. I didn't even know what cycling was, you know? But that was like, well, there was, there was Marie Purvis, who she was from the Isle of Man. She was competing in, in the women's road race. And uh, Chris Boardman had a pointy helmet. That <laughs> yeah, was quite cool, yeah, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and... I was just a bit captivated. I didn't have no one in my family, so I didn't support They were the only things I remember. So there must have been cycling in me, you know, the nature nurtures too. And then my three-year-old, like, all the kids ride, but my three-year-old, he's, he's, he's me. He's mini-me. Like, everything about him. Like, and obviously he's got that 
nurture side as well for for so he's it's not a bad and he's like it might scares me like parent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course yeah mate see you this go and jump in the sandpit like, <laughs> 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 go do triple jump <laughs> <laughs> are you happy for your kids to to be involved with so knowing what you know about the sport so for example with me I would be very keen, and people really struggle with this. I say stuff. I'd be keen for them to not do track and field mm. if they're very, if they want to do it in the sense. Of course, I one hundred percent support them, but I know what what I see behind the scenes within the sport that make me really hope they don't do it. I'm exactly the same as you. Like I will support if they, people if be surprised if they committed. By that. If they committed, I support them with whatever they want to do. But hundred percent the same with you. Like I have big reservations about. I, I, like if I ha- if I could choose. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Mm. I think cycling's different because it's so dangerous, but I think anybody, I don't know, maybe there are professions where you would be happy for your kids to go into it, but you, you only experience the dark side of any industry if, if you've been in, in it. it. It's true, yeah. So It's also the other thing, though. For example, I think the children of anybody who's been at a high level of sport... Of course. ...no matter what, they're compared. And mm. I, 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 yeah, that's I know athletes mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. parents were track and field athletes, whatever, it's got Australian friends that had that scenario. And... They retired young, didn't want to do it because they were constantly compared to it. And that's another fear that I have. Mm. And I know it's terrible to sort of think that already my, my children are, what, seven, three, and 11 months old, or four, sorry, Max is. Um, probably shouldn't be. <laughs> He's the middle child. Middle also, child, I'm middle child. I was, I was the middle terrible. child too. Yeah, so that's why you're always, always fighting for attention. It's exactly. a good thing. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a good thing. No, but uh, like, it, it genuinely, the you thought the of them ever... <laughs> I've seen them a lot. Um, the thought, though, the thought of them having to go through the idea, first of all, being compared, but just the stresses and strains of it. Mm. I think the other thing that people have done, something, it's not an easy lifestyle at all. There's mm. so much crap that you won't be able to talk about, which <laughs> you see firsthand. I saw firsthand within my sport. That's just awful. There's yeah. some bad people involved with them as well. <laughs> yeah. like, genuinely bad people. And I think as a parent... Because I say I've had this conversation. People go, I can't believe you wouldn't want them to do track and field. Like, you don't see what we see. Yeah. But I, I just I, and how hard it is to get to the top. You guys knew that because you're you're at the top. You've been at the top. Especially when you lose. So you lose. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. You get the like. I love my life, and I've been rewarded with with a beautiful life from what I do. But I lost a big part of my life like an, a normal life like a big big part of it half my life i'd lost you know of what what you you think you do you know and you don't you see your kids growing up and like right like well my eldest is he's, he's 16 and i remember what i was doing when i was 14 <laughs> 15 Mate, I know. And I, I, he hasn't been able to do that. Like with, with COVID and what's happened the last yeah, years, they've lost. He's already lost a chunk, and I feel so sorry for him with that. Yeah. that I think, whoa, wouldn't want them missing mm. more. You, you know, like. But you wouldn't change it though, right? That's and that's always the big thing. I think I don't, don't know changing it. I'm sitting here. Oh, no. But also, you say man. you say like losing out on things when that's what other people would spend a lifetime aspiring the, to. The, the yeah. fundamental thing is doesn't matter what you do in life if you get to do what you love yeah. every day mm-hmm. you, you you could only be happy like that you can only be happy like it's a good note to end on isn't it like, thanks man is that was that safe, perfect thank you very much thank you so much uh, best no luck worries. the rest thanks of the season up. and the rest of the career thank you <laughs> thanks man Thank you.
So that was Mark Cavendish, as I don't think I've ever heard no. or seen him before, certainly. It was absolutely fascinating. And what I find really interesting, I've never sat down to interview him, obviously, with another person beside me. It's always one-on-one. -on -one. And because I know him, I think I can get different things out of him. But I've never seen him turn the tables before. I've never <laughs> seen him ask anyone interviewing him questions, which he did to you. I thought that was lovely. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. It, and it's fascinating speaking to athletes that are still competing. And often when I see them, if I go to a track or an event and there's other athletes there, they always want to ask you what retirement's like and are you enjoying it? Do you miss it, et cetera? And there's ways of getting around that. And that's, that's something that I think Mark was interested in, I think, mm. because I think obviously he knows his career isn't going to last forever. I think if you're an intelligent sportsman or woman any in any sport, you know it doesn't last forever. And there is that wonder about retirement. And I've, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it the best I possibly can. <laughs> it, 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 it's an amazing thing to see. To, to it's the ultimate unknown for every single athlete. What is next? Now you have plans or whatever else, but you never know how it feels and what mentally and physically the changes are going to take place. And I love when athletes ask about it because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Now, obviously, you're enjoying it. You get the best gig. <laughs> is this? Um, <laughs> do you know, it's funny because I remember speaking to Sir A.P. McCoy, the champion jockey, about it. And he was saying how athletes, elite athletes, are the only people who know what it is to die twice. You die the first time you retire. And the rest of it is, is a second life, really, which I thought was quite profound and a little bit depressing. But I guess that's what it is. I can't imagine having to be in that situation. Mark Cavendish is competing at the upcoming Giro d'Italia, uh, which is essentially the, the Tour of Italy. That'll be on Eurosport and Discovery. But before that, he had a very important competition that he hadn't trained for, let's be honest, um, between myself and you, Greg. <laughs> Shall we see how we get on? Absolutely. Do you ever do rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> so good. So you're very in. That's the look all again. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> so this came about because at the airport this morning, I'm giving a really bad but probably very genuine <laughs> reflection of our relationship whereby it's just constantly competitive. But obviously he is Olympic champion and has won everything going and he's excellent at all sports. So I'm trying to find something that I can beat him at. And I thought, I thought rock, paper, scissors, I've got a chance. And he uh, beat smash, me. Smash, yeah. Absolutely smash. <laughs> rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Ah, oh, so that's your rock, paper, scissors, shoot okay, person, aren't you? Okay, we can do fine. that, it's fine. Um, this He's is got three... one, two, three, go. <laughs> this is a, th a three-way, and I need to specify for people that are watching. Oh, yeah, that's true. This is a podcast. <laughs> when I say this is a three-way, this is us a three-way of doing rock, paper, scissors. Thank okay, you for just clarifying, Just to specify, in case anybody got a bit confused. Okay. Hang on, do you think about it in advance, or do you just go with what you feel? Oh, just play the game. For <laughs> sake. The man's ready. Okay, okay, don't okay, don't okay, like okay. Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh! You know I was going to oh, no, do, do that. Let's keep going that, that's for my role to work, right? Okay. All right. Oh, okay. I was got, got, that was my plan the whole time. <laughs> well, we can like, change it. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh! Well done. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's how you lose graciously, by the way. Say well done. Just <laughs> <laughs>